Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Social Sit Down Podcast. I'm your host Sean Thomas. In today's episode I'll be going over some topics from the NFL, the NBA, a few national stories, and of course my favorite sport of all time, a little bit of college football. So stay tuned. So week six, week seven, being stuck inside the house can't go anywhere. It really hit me hard this week because I needed to get my car worked on. And since I'm the lone survivor down here where I'm living at in Louisiana, I had to drop my car off and wait. But since there were no waiting rooms, I have to wait to get my car fixed because there was nowhere for me to go because I can't sit in the lobby and I'm not going to stand outside in the hot blazing sun, especially not this part of Louisiana given my melanin efficiency that wasn't going to happen so for those of you who are upset angered frustrated and like man when is this going to be over i get you i feel you i understand you um i was looking at the news and i saw there was some people that took it just a wee bit further than what i took it down in michigan some young men and probably some young women masked up Got some guns, got some bulletproof vests, and went down to the government building demanding that the state reopen, lift all these bans and uh, precautionary items that they had to follow. Give Pretty much give them their state back, like they're on punishment for something that they did wrong. The government is trying to save your life, and you don't want the government to save your life. You want to virus be damned i want to do what i want to do when i want to do it i'm a goddamn american give me my freedoms on one hand i i can see that but you know i have to go there man it's uh, how do you (laughs) how do you go into the government building looking like that and the police aren't afraid they just see Good old Americans exercising their constitutional rights to 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 bear arms, freedom of speech, freedom of assembly, and nothing happens. There's no tragic reports that has come from this, and I think the they've had similar displays in Kentucky, Texas, and Minnesota of people. I don't want to say weaponizing themselves. I kind of demonize the situation, but I come to walk down to my government with machine guns, shotguns, pistols, and bulletproof vests, demanding that you stop trying to take care of me, stop trying to help me out. And nobody's afraid. Nobody gets an itchy trigger finger. Nobody shoots anybody in the back, beats the shit out of anybody, or, or, you know, chokes the life out of anybody. You even had the president of the United States saying that these are some good people doing regular old things and that the state should hear them out and give them back their freedoms or give them back their state or, or whatever. I mean, I researched it. I saw bits and pieces of what he had to say, but the the word I'm looking for the it's not really disparity but 
the 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 opposite way that we get treated in this country is is mind blowing to me. It's mind blowing and it's mind numbing that armed citizens storm the Capitol buildings of their states and nothing happens. Nothing happens. They're just, hey, that's their right. And some of us do nothing. And it's a nerve wracking situation. And some most of the not most of the time, but some of the time, people don't come alive from that situation. And it's equally troubling in Minnesota because that's the same place where Philando Castile told the police officer, look, man, I am a registered gun holder. I have a gun in my glove compartment. I'm letting you know this now before I open it up. And he still didn't make it out that goddamn situation. But the president of the United States is telling me that in mass, people that look like they want to be fake military can storm the goddamn Capitol and nothing happens to them. It's a little frustrating. It's a little bit angering. But again, according to the Constitution, it's their constitutional right to do that and have that privilege. Call it being stupid, call it being ignorant, call it what you want to, but they have that right. And everybody that stormed those buildings got to go home and talk about it the next day. Coronavirus isn't the only thing we got to worry about Uh, now. We have the murder hornets. This is awesome. Uh, I've seen that the murder hornets are a group of bees, wasps, hornets from Japan. They're huge. I saw a picture of them on somebody's hand. One of these hornets covered up the entire palm of somebody's hand. So these, these things are frightening. And the stingers that they have. Once they, they, they sting you with it, it's, it's, they say that it feels like a piece of hot metal piercing through your skin. And it causes 50 deaths every year in the country of Japan. So this, this is kind of serious. Not only that, are they a threat to people in that manner? They're also killing local bees here. And the reason why that's so important is because our bees, our little honeybees that people have been telling us for, I want to say about five or ten years, that we have to save the bees and people are just rolling their eyes. Bees pollinate 85% of all crops that we consume as humans. So, damn being being stung by one of these things, man. Damn being stung by one of these things. Yeah, that's that's painful. But... 50 people in the entire country died. That's very small compared to 85% of the food that we eat. We need to get this under control. Yes, please give me my stimulus check. I need it. But uh, I need these New Orleans-style fumigators out there killing, (laughs) fuming at night, hours at a time. Get these bees, not these bees, these murder hornets, whatever you want to call them. Get them the hell up out of here, bro. Get the hell up out of here, bro. Last thing I want to talk about on national news, and yes, race is a part of this one too. It's this this whole Katie Couric and Denzel Washington thing that happened over the weekend where Katie Couric claims that she had a interview with Denzel Washington during one of his movies or about one of his movies, The Manchurian Candidate. It was a pretty good movie if you've never seen it. Um... 
and she said that she felt uncomfortable or a, a little dis-ease at the way he approached this interview. Now, I tried to find this interview to see what she was talking about. I could not find it. I found several other interviews that Denzel Washington was talking about, talking to people along the lines of the, uh, the questions that she was asking because she was asking him about being in Hollywood, and I think that's a like a hot-button topic to Denzel. And the way he broached that comment with everybody else it didn't seem it didn't seem threatening it didn't seem argumentative one of the interviews I saw him he was actually laughing you know he was you know cracking jokes and whatever so I'm trying to figure out exactly what happened during the interview that made Katie Couric feel fake threatened because I'll say this man I just I, I don't believe you I don't believe you. Somebody once told me a, a while back that some white people visualize black people as like a spider or like having a, a tarantula for a head and it just spooks not every white person. Let's, 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 Jesus Christ, let's knock that out the, the park right now. Not everybody. Just some people see black people with having tarantulas for heads, and it's like terrifying to just sit there in the same room with people. And I know Katie Couric, she's been doing this for decades. She's interviewed several people, but it's something about it's something about us, man. It's something about talking to black men. And I know there's not too many actors, black male actors on the, the, I mean, there's Sidney Poitier, there's James Earl Jones, there's Denzel Washington, and there is a crater to the next person. Insert African-American male actor here. So it's... When you come in contact with somebody that confident with that type of charisma, command, and, and, and he's just sure of himself, depending on how he talks, how he walks, how he carries himself, it can be viewed as threatening. And it's not that at all. It's just... To me, it says more about Katie Couric than it does Denzel Washington. And I'll, I'll just end it here on this note. That little five or ten minute interview or however long it was with Denzel Washington was more threatening or more... <sighs> she worked with Matt Lauer for years. But Denzel Washington was the one it's, that was just like, oh, so, so, so uncomfortable. Matt Lauer and the stuff that he was accused with, I found that also online. Out of respect for Matt Lauer, she didn't want to discuss anything about those cases. But that little brief interview with Denzel Washington made her so uncomfortable that she had to bring it up. And, and she brought up the fact that he donated some money to her charity or something like that, 
which I guess is supposed to be an admission of guilt that he actually did something wrong. But again, the Internet is wiped clean with that interview because I looked and I looked and I looked and I could not find it. So I find it very, very strange. I guess the entire NBA must have won the Super Bowl because I hear that they are all moving to Disneyland. This is a new plan in place to help make sure that we have basketball this year amidst this pandemic called the coronavirus. Now, I believe currently the plan includes for not only the players, but the players' immediate families moving to Disney World and staying in their resorts so that, you know, nobody has to be separated. Um, There's not too many people coming with them. I know there's going to be less than 30 personnel employees per team, plus uh, the resort workers to make sure that, you know, the restaurants are running, hotels stay clean. Uh, I believe there's going to be some extra medical personnel on hand for testing. And, you know, of course, the TV and camera crews and stuff like that. But for now, it looks like there's a plan in place that either at the end of this month or somewhere next month, we're going to have professional basketball. And I, I personally, I can't wait, man. There's not going to be any people in the stands, of course, but basketball will be back. I think the other thing they're trying to see is are they going to finish the regular season or just go straight into the playoffs? And in my personal opinion, since the the pandemic is still going on, and you don't know how successful this is going to be, if this is going to work, I say just go straight into the playoffs. Go straight into the playoffs. You don't have to worry about anybody getting sick during the the finishing of this regular season. I think it's only going to be chopped off by about 10 to 15 games, give or take teams and conferences. Go straight to the playoffs. We know who the top eight, eight seeds are in each side of the bracket. Let's just get this thing going. Um, another... Another big, big, big problem that they might have that I didn't even think about personally. This disease affects people who are like the babies and the infants and stuff like that. But it also affects men and women over the age of 65. So there's going to be some coaches and personnel groups that can't personnel people, excuse me, that won't be able to to go or be going at a high, high risk. Houston's coach, Mike D'Antoni, San Antonio's coach, Greg Popovich, uh, the Lakers' assistant coach, Lionel Collins, and the, not the Saints, <laughs> Sephora slip, the Pelicans head coach, Alvin Gentry, they're all over 65 years of age. So if they decide to stay on with this little plan, it's going to be either be at their own risk or they'll put their assistants in charge to go and coach the teams. I believe Coach Popovich has faith in his assistants. I just don't know who it is. I don't know if it's going to be... I feel so C-A-T smart right now. Becky Hammond. I don't know if it's going to be Becky Hammond or if it's going to be Tim Duncan. That's going to be the head coach of the team. But I can see Greg Popovich being smart about this and removing himself from this situation and letting one of those two take over while while this whole thing is going on this year and coming back next year when we have a, a more normal regular season. 
as far as front offices go, the big the big name in the front office is Pat Riley. I think Pat Riley was staying in Miami while this whole thing is going on. Disneyland. Y'all can't respond to me, but Disneyland is in California, right? Disney World is Florida. Disneyland is California. I'm hearing the vibrations from outside, the my aura space. Cool. I believe that's California. So I think Pat is going to stay in Florida while everybody else goes to California, man. And I, I personally, I think this is a good idea. I think this could work. I don't know where they're getting these extra tests from because I know there's a test shortage. I'm guessing that's why they're trying to hold off until the end of this month or sometime next month. That way they won't get such blowback from the people for doing all this testing. Because if they got tests like that and they're not giving it to people who, who need it above professional athletes who kind of sort of don't need to be playing right now, that they could take a huge PR hit. And they're already losing money from not having fans in the stands and regular concessions. So... I think that's one of the one of the biggest reasons why they're waiting, because this this plan just seems too good to where it, it couldn't happen right now. So I can see why they would wait with that. The other sort of NBA thing that that's been going on for the past couple of weeks, actually this is the third week, is the Jordan documentary. Man, this thing is very very compelling. I am having a hard time. With the, the last two couple of episodes, because I know what's getting ready to happen uh, for you young folks that I don't know why you wouldn't know. But this the setup of Jordan's gambling addictions over these last two episodes and him claiming that setting it up that he already was getting tired and of being bombarded by fans and people wanting stuff from him is. Jordan's father passed away uh, around this time, the, the the setup of this documentary, this time period of the documentary. And it's never, fun is probably not that great of a word to use, but it's it's always awkward knowing that somebody is dead and reliving how and when they died. So, I want to say the next two episodes that they show on Sunday is going to be kind of rough for me because I, I mean, I don't know James Jordan or didn't know James Jordan, but it's a, it's a human being that's getting ready to die. And that's the ominous overview of what's getting ready to happen. And I can see it happening. And Hopefully I can handle that. I want to say they they probably take care of that in episode seven because he's already won his his third. He's done the three-peat. They're talking about the gambling. They're talking about him being tired of the game. And it's it's a lot of foreshadowing going in that direction. So if you're intently watching this documentary just like me, I mean, we see it coming for young folks that don't know about – passing of James Jordan there were rumors about the fact that James Jordan the way he he did die the the awkward way that it happened on some random street with two random people you've never heard of before the conspiracy is that Jordan owed more money than he was letting on to believe and 
this was the collateral damage of that. Um, and just reliving that for me is just going to be, it's going to be kind of rough. But on a, another note, positive note, Joe, while Jordan's father is a great man, was a, was a great man, was a wonderful man, Jordan's mother is the real MVP. Damn Kevin Durant's mom. Michael Jordan's mama started <laughs> started Nike. Uh, Phil Knight, yeah. Phil Knight's picture could be everywhere. His mom's picture should be in every single Nike building ever. Wherever they're at, in China, in Florida, the Nike outlet factories in every state in the United States of America. Nike was a fledgling company that nobody, nobody cared about. And if Adidas was on a game, I think the brothers were having some sort of dispute or they were going through some kind of controversy with son and father, whatever. Internal family strife ruined a multi-billion dollar, multi-billion dollar signing. That is amazing. And I think the reason why Jordan, he was a rookie in, what, 1984, I want to say the Run DMC, again, for you young folks that don't know, one of the godfathers of, of rap and hip-hop music in this country, Run DMC made the show to Adidas very famous. And Michael Jordan was a young teenage kid. I think he was, what, 19 when he came out, maybe 20, which is still a teenager. You're not fully uh, an adult until you hit 23, a non-teenager until you hit 23, in my personal opinion. So the shell to Adidas was like the shoe back in the day. So I could see why Jordan was a, a, a attracted to that company and wanted to do some big things with that company. And that marriage between Run DMC and Michael Jordan in the mid-80s on a come-up, man, Adidas. The way they talked about Nike in that documentary, I don't think Nike would have... Nike probably would have filed for bankruptcy within a few years after this event. The way they talked about Nike and them only having like a couple of, of sponsors and the, the meteoric rise that Michael Jordan went on as soon as he got with the company, making his shoe popular and other people following his lead of trying to have their own signature shoe. I think Nike would have Nike would have belly flopped as a company, in my personal opinion, man. So that that those are some of the main main takeaways. The whole thing with Tony Kukos. <laughs> I feel bad for Tony Kukos, man. God, I feel bad for Tony Kukos. And I, I don't think he let that thing go. He's not. I'm trying to remember. I might have to watch that thing again. I don't think he mentioned Jordan or Pippen by name. I think he kept saying they. They didn't know who I, who I was, and they were doing this, and they were doing that. He never mentioned Michael or Scotty by name. That's how bad they did that, man. And it was all because of Jared, the hatred, deep-seated hatred for Jared Krause. That's another thing, dude. To the producer of this documentary, man, you know that Jared Krause is dead, right, bro? Can we... This is through the lens of Michael Jordan... That's a the the moves he's making right now for this documentary is very petty and very feminine, man. And I don't that that shit is uncomfortable for me. 
And I don't see why he has to constantly go there over and over and over and over again. But that's that's the way he was. <sighs> Monetarily, he screwed over Jordan. He screwed over Pippen. And his idea that organizations win championships, not players, was uh, a huge flaw. But Jerry Krause did put together a six-time NBA championship team. I think he deserves some type of credit for that. It seems like he was a bit of an egomaniac who isn't at that level. It seems like he was hell-bound to prove that I don't want to say he was smarter, the smartest person in the room, but he was hell-bound hell on proving that I can make this thing work with or without these so-called great players. And, I mean, if that's his biggest character flaw, fine, cool. I personally would like to see them ease up a little bit on Jerry Krause, especially since he cannot defend himself from any of these things. But that's just... Now comes the fun part where I get to talk about a team that I hate the most in the NFL. And that's the bleeping Dallas Cowboys. So, Mr. Andy Dalton has signed a one-year, $3 million deal. Once again, let me repeat, a one-year, $3 million deal to go down to Dallas and be the backup quarterback. It only becomes a $7 million deal, which they reported, if he becomes the starter. According to a lot of reporters down there in Dallas, Dak's deal will get done. The reason why it hasn't gotten done yet is because there's some uh, a debate about the length of the deal. I think Dak only wants it to be a four-year deal with a fifth-year option so he can get back into free agency. And I think the Cowboys want the deal to go a little bit longer, kind of like Ezekiel Elliott's deal, like a six-, seven-year deal. So that's one of those things that they're debating about. Also, the the Cowboys are doing something respectful, and they're giving him his space because his brother just passed away, I want to say, last week while the uh, NFL draft was going on. So they're giving him his space to grieve. Just because Andy Dalton used to be a starter for the Cincinnati Bengals does not mean he's going to be a starter for the Dallas Cowboys. And please, 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 let's keep in mind, when Andy Dalton was a starter for – for the Cincinnati Bengals, he wasn't really setting the world on fire. One year, $3 million, he's just going to be a backup. Cowboys have had, like, big-time backups in the past. Uh, Tony Romo used to be a backup uh, to to Drew Bledsoe. I want to say Roger Stallback had a pretty popular backup. I'm, I'm missing his name right now. Steve Walsh was the backup to Troy Aikman before uh, – the former head coach is there. So it's this this is nothing new. This is this is not even really a story. It's just that it happens to be the Dallas Cowboys. They're supposedly America's team. We are starved for sports content right now, and this gets inflated into a big story when it's really not. To me, the big story in Dallas or coming out of Dallas is C D Lamb. Now, according to reports, C.D. Lamb wanted to be number 10, 
but good old Jarrah. Jarrah said, nah, man, I drafted you out of my alma mater, the University of Oklahoma, and you could be the next great Dallas Cowboy wide receiver. We're going to slap that 88 on your back, and you're going to go out there as a slot receiver <laughs> for the Dallas Cowboys and be number 88 because you're going to be great. Whew. So get out there, rookie year, no minute camp, no no real training camp. Study the playbook on Zoom, not with your coach in the room, and get this 88 on your back, no pressure. C.D. Lamb, welcome to the NFL, my boy. Welcome to the NFL. Now, do I think C.D. Lamb can live up to this, to this, the, the heights of wearing number 88 like Des Bryant, Michael Irvin? Yeah, I, I, I believe so. I believe so. Andrew Pearson, uh, please. I did not mean to slight or disrespect Drew Pearson, who should be in the Hall of Fame. I think he can, but, man, I would have loved to have seen him wear that, that number 10 his rookie year since he's going to be the slot receiver. He's going to be the third guy. There's no way right now he could battle out to be the number two guy or even the number one guy. So that 88 right now is going to look kind of weird from a guy that's not going to be on the field. Mm, I want to say more than – I don't think he's going to be on the field more than 60% of the snaps that they play. I know uh, the game is going very, very spread out in the NFL, but I just – I don't see it yet. If he's on the field more than 60%, and he can line up as a true he's a true Z receiver. True Z meaning he's he's like off the ball, fast guy. Okay, can, can still go get it. And Amari Cooper is your true X on the ball, can fight off of uh strong press coverage. I th- I think he can do that. But without the training camps and the rookie camp, rookie mini camps, and the veterans mini camps, and and the season being put in a rush, I don't I don't think that this year will be the year that that he does as well as Jerry hopes that he can do. I think he's going to have a good season. I think he'll catch between forty five, maybe fifty five receptions. He might be a thousand yard receiver but that's Dallas doesn't throw the ball that much because of, of Ezekiel Elliott I just I, I'm doing this this math in my head right now to give you an accurate depiction man because I don't want to just fanboy this podcast and say yeah he's going to catch 100 passes and get 2,000 yards and 20 touchdowns it's not going to happen you have to learn your NFL playbook. You're going to have to learn how to release yourself off of the line of scrimmage in the NFL into zone NFL zone coverages that might look like one thing and turn into something totally different. You're going to have to develop a relationship with Dak Prescott, and he's going to have to figure out how you like to get the ball, where you're comfortable getting the ball. Um, everybody comes into the NFL with drops, drop problems, drop issues, um, even Jerry Rice, Jerry Rice had to was almost considered a bust. Uh, so you're gonna have to get past all of that, 
And then the very next year, you'll probably get your, your true Z position. The other guy, I believe his name is Gallup. He'll, he'll, he'll move over to the slot or he'll just find a whole other team to play for. And then that 88 will start to make more sense. But for right now, I think Jerry did this man a huge disservice with that. Should have let him do number 10 this year, have low expectations going in. He would have exceeded the low expectations because, I mean, 45, 55 receptions for a rookie wide receiver, close to 1,000 yards and maybe like five or six touchdowns, that's not bad. That's that's pretty good for a rookie. But since he's wearing number 88 for the D Dallas Cowboys in a past happy year NFL, even though the the Cowboys rely heavily on Zeke Elliott to do most of the work, they're – if he gets anything less than 75 receptions, anything less than 1,200 yards, and anything less than a bookmark it at eight touchdowns, you're going to be like, why is he wearing number 88? That's, that's stupid. And I'm telling you now, expect it. He's going to be the slot receiver. He's got to get over – the fact that he's going to be playing a lot of national te- nationally televised games. I mean, yes, he comes from Oklahoma, but Oklahoma football and the Dallas Cowboys is, is two totally different animals. All right. The last thing I'll discuss as far as the NFL is concerned has to deal with some stuff I was talking about a couple of weeks ago with the um, the way that the northeast region of the NFL the way it sees its its black players and the way they position them on the field. Um it's 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 a slow burn to change into a positive direction. Especially in the, the, the area of Boston. Boston, even though I've never been there before, the way people describe Boston, I could see it being like a southern city. A real, real deep, deep south southern city. And that's... I was born and raised here. But there are still some places in my own state. Depending on the time of day, I wouldn't stop in. Uh, I would try to avoid driving through. And Boston, the way they describe Boston makes me feel that type of way about that city like I feel about like some cities down here uh, from Louisiana to Mississippi to Alabama to Florida Tennessee Virginia both of the Carolinas Georgia Kentucky Arkansas Boston is no different from any of them the Patriots drafted this kicker I'm going to mispronounce his name (laughs) the first name is easy Justin that last name Rohrhauser I hope I said that right. Has a little tattoo issue. Um, Supposedly the tattoos that he's getting removed from his body represents white supremacy. And cool. He claimed he didn't know. He claimed he just got the tattoo because it looked cool. Didn't know anything about the meaning behind him. Uh, the Twitterverse caught him in his lie with that, with the uh, stuff that he used to like 
and fo- his follows, his retweets. Um, I believe he said he didn't. He got it when he was in high school, when he was supposedly young and dumb, and everybody gets a pass. The <laughs> photo evidence of that says, nope, you you got it in college. And they even did a side by side with some of those people down in Charlottesville, Virginia. And the, the tattoo on his arm to to show that nah, this this isn't just a cool looking tattoo. You are a SWS, a su- suspected white supremacist. And even though you get the tattoo removed because you never thought in a million years you'd get a chance to play in the NFL, surrounded by more black folks than you probably had to play with down there in West Virginia at the University of Marshall. What's in your heart? What's in your brain space? How do you really feel? Give a damn about removing a tattoo. Cool. Congratulations. Golf claps for you. How you think, how you move, how you truly feel when shit hits the fan. That's who you are. That is your core beliefs. And he got a pass with all the interviews of the local media down there. And that's that's a shame. Because, I mean, we... The aforementioned Des Bryant had to answer questions before he got drafted about his mom being a prostitute. First of all, how the hell do you fix your lips and have the thought process to even ask somebody that? If you sat back and watched the NFL draft a couple of weeks ago, uh, I think Dan Lebertard referred to it as, as, uh, damn, how did he say that? Tragedy porn. The way they were talking about black folks. There was even a wide receiver, I think, uh, T. Higgins from Clemson. They were talking about how his mom was addicted to drugs off and on for 16 years. Like, what the fuck does that have to do with his evaluation of him running routes and catching a football? Yet you got this guy here, Mr. Justin Rohrhauser, is coming into the NFL, has hate and hatred tattooed on his body. And you only ask one question, maybe two, and don't press on any of it. GTBW. Now to the sport I have the biggest love-hate relationship with, and that is college football. This is mostly college sports all the way around, but these 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 new laws or uh, new ordinances are in place mostly for the predominantly black sports of college football and college basketball. The NCAA made a ruling that players can officially get paid for their name and their likeness. So Massa has given us our name and our likeness back. Awesome. Cool. Here's the thing, though. The schools cannot, 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 cannot directly pay the student athletes. These have to be outside endorsements. When you get these outside endorsements, there can be no reference of the conference that you play for, no reference of the school name, and whatever trademarks that the school has are prohibited. 
This is supposed to take effect next year for the 2021 to the 2022 season. All those sports, every athlete in those sports can start to make money starting that year. The NCAA is a multi-million dollar organization. It's supposed to be a non-profit, but it has it just surpassed the one billion dollar mark in revenue thanks to the, the TV money that's going around. So schools are making money hand over fist. Up until this point, athletes couldn't receive a dime of that money outside of quote unquote scholarships. If you're like me and you've you've worked close with college football, scholarships ain't worth the toilet paper you wipe your butt with with some of these degrees that the majority of the players get. And now they're officially allowed to start making money, but none of it is coming from the colleges. I can see where this could be a good thing. But my antennas are up. I I would love to know what the fine print of that document is. Because the NCAA is not a charitable organization. It's a money-making scheme. They are a cartel. People who are more intelligent than me and have studied this thing for way longer than I have have said the same thing. They've been allowed to get away with this for decades And all of a sudden, through the generosity of your heart, you're going to start paying these players. What's the catch? What is the catch? Is is there a cap on how much the players can make, which is crazy? Is the reason that schools don't have to pay so these administrators can get bigger houses, fancier cars, sexier mistresses. I mean, let's... The second, third, and fourth string offensive linemen, defensive linemen, they're not getting this money. But they are integral parts to a football team. The punters and the kickers are not getting endorsements. They're integral parts to this football team. The long snapper ain't getting this money. The seven-string wide receiver is not getting this money. The four-string quarterback is not getting this money. Is that the reason why the schools do not have to pay directly? Are they trying to? Are they trying to supersede the Title IX, to where whatever you do for male sports have to be done for female sports? Are they trying to find a get around for that? I, on one hand, I'm happy that student athletes are finally able to receive payment for their image and likenesses. Hopefully these college football and college basketball games could come back so they can make a little bit extra money on that. Something else just hit me. So since the schools cannot pay them, that means ticket sales. You don't get that money. Jersey sales, you don't get that money. Since they said, brought this thing in with the trademarks, 
conference and school name if those video games do come back since they will have conferences, school names, and trademarks. Does that mean the players can't get money, percentage dollars from the video games? This is something that's very brand new. I wanted to bring it up because, like I said, this is something close to my heart. I, I would love to one day coach college football before I leave this earth. Um, but the closer I get to this this part of the sport, man, the, the grimier it gets. And I, there's, there's certain aspects that I love about college athletics, but there's also aspects that that make me sick to my stomach. And I'm hoping this is a step in the right direction, but I'm also hoping for more knowledge of what this means or what this can do and some restriction lifts moving forward. I want to say within the next 10 to 15 years, because I know this is a slow process, rich people don't like giving up their money. And this is a multi-billion dollar cartel to the student-athletes who hopefully one day can hear my voice and hear me speak. Hopefully this pandemic has shown you the power that you have. The reason why these, these broadcasters have jobs is because of you. The reason why these broadcasters dress in fancy suits, drive nice cars, get to fly all over the country is because of you. The reason why these vendors are allowed to make money at concessions is because of you. The reason why these jerseys are flying off the rack is because of you. The reason why college scouts and pro scouts have jobs is because of you. You have more power and more pull than you can ever imagine. And hopefully one day you, you, maybe it's not a union. Maybe it'll take uh, another Ed O'Bannon type lawsuit to get to get things moving in a positive way. If me coach, by the time I get to coach college football, if I can only make like a million or two million dollars because there's a budget set up to pay the athletes that I bring in. From the, the the golden arm quarterback all the way down to the third string long snapper, I'm fine with that. I'm good with that. Because I know they put in more than those 20 hours a week that the NCAA, I, I think it's down to 17 hours a week. 70 scholarships and 17 hours a week on the practice field. And I'm just talking football. I have no idea what it's like for basketball. And I don't discriminate, man, because I know, like, I've, uh, there's a podcast I had a while back talking about this this very same topic. The women, UConn's women's basketball should be pulling in money. The lady volunteers should be pulling in money. I think the the lady Trojans at USC are still a big, big ticket item down there in California. They should be pulling in money. I know uh, in the Northeast, lacrosse is huge. They should be pulling in money. So it's not just football. Football is my passion. And the the racial dynamic of the rich, mostly rich white ADs and presidents and 
the heads, different positions of, of, of the NCAA, and these black kids, majority black kids, not sole black kids, white people, I see you. I know y'all still playing quarterback, offensive lineman, receiver, tight end, linebacker, blah, 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 whoop de whoop, I see you. Don't get don't don't get it twisted. All right. I'ma try to to use something that I don't don't do often in my own my own life, and try to have some patience on this, and see where this goes. So this is a step in the right direction. I'm excited that this is getting ready to happen, but I I want to see how it uh, how it gets reformed and transformed and grows from here. Before I go, I want to say a quick rest in peace to Coach Don Shula, the former head coach of the Miami Dolphins and the Baltimore Colts. I believe he still holds the record for the most wins of any NFL coach all time. Um, wasn't a Miami Dolphin fan by any stretch of the imagination, but I did have respect for Don Shula, especially his 17 and 0 1972 championship team. NFL Super Bowl championship winning team. Um, I don't even. I don't think I, I, I knew that much about Coach Shula outside of his wins and being the head coach for the undefeated team and uh, being the head coach that worked with Dan Marino. Outside of that, I didn't know too too much about Coach Shula, but that is an impressive record. That's an impressive resume. And it seems from what other people have said about him, he was a decent human being as well. So rest in peace to Don Shula. As always, I thank you for tuning in. I apologize for taking that little week off. I had something going on and I didn't want to send a, a, a bad podcast into the atmosphere. I'm still trying to grow this thing, trying to break up out of my shell and do something I've never done before and see how far I can build it, make it great, and see how many people I can find that actually love this thing. See how I can fine-tune myself and get better at this. And who knows? So, thank you for joining me for another episode of the Social Sit Down Podcast, and I hope that you enjoy the rest of your week.